Money Roots is made possible by the support of our sponsor, Rooted Planning Group. Are you ready to take control of your financial future? Look no further than Rooted Planning Group, your trusted partner in financial well-being. At www.rootedpg.com, you'll discover a wealth of resources and expertise to help you thrive financially. Rooted Planning Group specializes in personalized financial planning, investment management, and retirement strategies. They understand that every financial journey is unique, and they're here to guide you every step of the way. With a team of experienced advisors, Rooted Planning Group is committed to helping you cultivate a secure and prosperous future. Visit www.rootedpg.com today to learn more about how Rooted Planning Group can help you grow your money roots. Every week, it's my goal to share a story of someone's journey through their life in Financial Vineyard. We take you from their roots to the journey of their vines and the influences in the air that have helped craft their delicious lives. Like wine, life and finances have different palettes that should be celebrated and not judged. Welcome to this edition of Wine and Dime with Amy Irvine. If you are somebody who has considered starting your own business, or if you are a business owner that would like to go to the next level and you need somebody to help you with those financial projections, financial forecasting, and to serve as a CFO, you need to listen to this podcast. 100 Degrees Financial Leadership is an outstanding women-owned company. And when you listen to Stephanie's story, there is no doubt that she has made some incredible decision in her lives that allow her the flexibility to be a mom, a business owner, and to make good money. We hope you enjoy the show. Sit on back, grab your favorite beverage, and sip away. Welcome to the show today, Stephanie Skrzelski. Thank you so much for being part of the show. And if you notice the hesitation after I said her name, it took me several times to say it correctly. So I'm publicly announcing that I apologize, but hopefully said it correctly this time. (laughs) Yes, you got it. So Stephanie, thank you for joining the show. As you know, one of the things that I love to always start my shows with is the very, very fun topic before we dig into the journey. But uh, we do have, we, we're both from, well, we both live our lives uh, part uh, in New York state and love New York state wine regions. But that does not mean that that is your favorite wine necessarily. So I'd love to know, is there a particular wine that you're drinking right now that you would recommend to listeners as they gear up to listen to your journey in general? Yeah, you know what? Um, My husband is very into wine. And so he's kind of like dug deep and introduced me to things that I probably wouldn't have explored before. But one of our favorites is, um, is the prisoner there's it's, uh, it's a red blend and it's, it's made by the prisoner wine company. And it's really, really nice. Where is that wine out of? I think it's California. I'm going to their website right now because I actually don't know. I'm pretty sure it's California. Is that part of that 19 crimes family by any chance? I don't know. I'll have to look that one up, but that they have some fun names for some of their wine, wine that they have. And they're usually some kind of blend and a different kind of blend for each name that they have, but the prisoner, well, we'll have to look that one up. 
it's uh, always fun to, to, I joked that 2020 was my year to travel via my taste buds. So I was trying like different regions each month. Love it. Yes. And as we still can't really travel all that much, I've sort of continued that into 2021 with uh, drinking a lot of Oregon uh, wines right now, just to try um, the like the Columbia Valley region and different different areas of Oregon. So um, Chateau St. Michel is one of my favorite wineries just in general, which is technically considered a Washington winery, but a lot mm-hmm. of their red grapes actually do come out of that Oregon, um, that region. So that is what's sitting on the, the uh, counter for me to open this evening. <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. I know three more hours. <laughs> so, um, I, I asked you to be on the show because, um, one of the things that I, that has struck me about your journey, first of all, for those that are listening, a little bit of background about Stephanie, she owns her own consulting business called hundred degrees. And one of the, the things that I love about her journey, just even on her homepage, is that she talks about basically why she started her own company. And as you know, more and more women are starting to do that. Um, we're actually the, the top growing force of small business uh, owners and startups in the country. But Stephanie's journey is like many others. It wasn't a straight journey into being an entrepreneur and, and taking that that deep dive. So I'd love for you to share a little bit of background about, you know, how, as I always say, the formation of your, your vineyard is to where it is right now, because right now from an outsider looking anyways, it's very fruitful. Um, for those that are also listening, uh, we're so thrilled to be, uh, working sort of in a collaborative effort with Stephanie, because we don't offer as financial planners, CFO services and forecasting services and record keeping services, but Stephanie's group does that. So we can offer the financial planning. Her group can offer all those things that we can't offer. So we're, we're just really excited about the potential that that's going to bring to our clients. And, how that's going to take their business forward. So without stealing any more of her thunder, I'd really love to hear, you know, how your, how your vineyard has gotten its formation and, and the journey to where you are right now. Yeah, I would say um, we have to rewind like quite a while back um, to actually when I was a child um, and we went on a field trip to um, a courtroom when I was about maybe 12 or 13 years old. And I just became obsessed with the idea of becoming a lawyer. Like I wanted to like go to work in this courtroom every single day. And my first like ambition was to be a court reporter. I was like, that just looks so cool with their little like typewriter thing. And um, that was what I wanted to do. And so I like read every single John Grisham book there was quickly changed like, okay, I don't want to be a court reporter. I want to be a lawyer. Um, read all the John Gershner books, like as a you know young teenager, all the way up to college, and then decided to major in political science and thinking like I really wanted to go to law school. Um, and so that was kind of the plan. I graduated from college a year early. I just I was ready um, just to sort of move on and get started with my life as a you know as, as a grown up. And so I um, I remember applying when I was in my last year of college. I, I was googling. I was in an internship and I distinctly remember sitting there Googling um, best law firms in the world because I was like, well, I'm not just going to work for some little rinky dink law firm here in Rochester, New York, where I grew up. I'm like, I got to like work for the best. So I found, you know, the, the one that came up at the top of the Google search, I applied to be a legal assistant because that was kind of how the trajectory of your career 
begins Mm -hmm. um, for a lot of people. And, you know, long story short, to my surprise, I was offered a job as a legal assistant at one of the biggest, best law firms in the world in New York City. Um, Mm -hmm. So I took the job. I, I, you know, I graduated college two weeks later. I headed down to New York and, um, and started the job there. And I saw the red flags pretty quickly and I realized that it was like not for me, Um, but I, I, I made it there. I lasted through the craziness of working for such a massive law firm um, for about a year. Um, And then I realized, nope, don't want to be a lawyer. I don't know what the heck I want to do, but I don't want to be a lawyer. Um, But while I was there. You did it that way though, Stephanie. I mean, you know, if you had gone to law school and spent that $200,000 $200,000 and learned that you didn't want to be a lawyer. Oh my. So I, I know, <laughs> I know I went so far as to study for and take the LSAT and I didn't do very well on the LSAT. And that was kind of like a wake up call for me because I was actually really good at standardized tests as a kid. Like I always excelled at them. I took the SAT like a couple years early just for fun. Like that's the kind of kid that I was. Um, So when I didn't do very well on the LSAT, I was like, okay, I really don't think this is for me now. Um, But you're right. I'm glad I, glad I didn't make it that far. But while I was at the law firm there, um, I was assigned to this partner who had a nonprofit. She had founded a nonprofit that was working in Afghanistan to help um, rural farmers and and widows sort of build these farm-based businesses so that they could then sell their fruits and vegetables in the market and earn some money for their families. Um, Because in Afghanistan, it's not really typical for a woman to be able to work outside of the home. So anyway, this organization was helping with that. And I like instantly fell in love and I knew that this is what I wanted to do. Um, And so what this was, was, you know, working for a nonprofit, wearing every single hat there possibly could be like, you know, planning the event, doing the bookkeeping, um, you know, presenting the financials to the board and stuffing envelopes for like donor letters, like literally everything. Um, But it was there that I sort of latched onto this finance piece. I, I was, I had always been good at math and it like, it always came very naturally to me, but I didn't want to be a math teacher and I didn't know what else you could do with a math degree. So, <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, so, so that really came naturally to me. I loved it. Um, and eventually that led into, um, you know, that led into working, you know, in that nonprofit, um, as the finance person and then going to another nonprofit and eventually becoming the CFO of that nonprofit. Um, and then rewind five years from right where we are now. And five years ago, I decided that I thought there was a need for nonprofit organizations needed some sort of financial leadership, but a lot of the smaller organizations couldn't afford a full-time CFO. They didn't need a full-time CFO. So I said, let me just try my hand at this like fractional CFO consulting model and see what happens. And so um, nonprofit tax returns are public information. And so, um, they're all on guidestar.org. And so I just started combing guidestar for organizations of a certain size who did not have a CFO. Like I would find the organization, I would go to their website, see if they had a CFO listed. And if they did not, I would email their executive director or their CEO and say, Hey, I'm doing this thing. Like, do you think you would want to talk? Do you think you'd be interested? And that's how we got our first four clients. And then have really grown um, just tremendously over the last five years since then. So definitely a winding path. (laughs) Well, the need is absolutely there. As you mentioned, a lot of the small organizations actually do need the financial hat 
But the executive directors, that's not their area of expertise. That's not most executive directors that that's not what they went to college for. It's, you know, that their and their job, generally speaking, is more in the public eye than it is necessarily sitting behind the desk crunching the numbers. Yeah. But they've been forced to take that role on because they can't, it's a small organization, they can't afford that full time CFO and and most volunteers that serve on non-for-profit boards, they may have somebody that has that knowledge and experience, but they can't do it for them. You know, they're they're guidance. They're not they're not doing the actual work. So again, it gets pushed on them and it's a huge relief. And and I would think as a board member myself, I would think that having somebody as an outside entity working with those numbers actually puts really good controls in place. So yeah. that's an area that non-for-profit profits can really get themselves in trouble if they don't have the proper controls in place. Yeah. Exactly. Now you, um, you mentioned, I, I, you, you also work with small businesses. So non-for-profits is, is where you started, but you've expanded that out just a bit and, and work with a lot of small businesses and do that very similar thing where you're doing forecasting and projecting as well. Tell us a little bit about, and there's a big difference between those two worlds. So tell us a little bit about what made you decide to venture out in that arena. Yeah. So it wasn't long after, you know, I started the business and started sort of building connections that um, small businesses started coming to us saying, can you help me? Like you're, you're a CFO, like, can you help me? And I'm thinking to myself, well, I haven't really done that before, but I don't see why not. So, um, you know, they, at the end of the day, while the sort of accounting nuances and the bookkeeping nuances are different, the, the sort of big picture challenges are the same, like cash crunch, you know, we don't have enough funds to do what we need to do, or, you know, the money's coming in, but somehow like, I don't have enough cash in the bank where what's happening to it. We all have expenses that we need to control. We all have different revenue streams that we want to like analyze and figure out what's working, what's not working. And so it actually became a very natural fit very quickly. Um, And so now our portfolio is about half and half. So it's half nonprofits, half small businesses. And um, I love working. I love working with small businesses, especially because I feel like entrepreneurs, small business owners just have this like limitless potential. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot less of the scarcity mindset. There's more of an abundance mindset. And, and I love helping show entrepreneurs through like analyzing their numbers and helping them forecast like the truly limitless potential that they have, that their business has. It's so fun to be able to, um, to be able to do that. So yeah, that it just sort of happened naturally. And I would say the common thread between, um, our nonprofits and our small businesses are for the most part, our small businesses are all like purpose driven in one way or another. Like, yes, they're all out to make money for sure. But I always say like, if the, you know, tire store down the street came and said, would you be my CFO? I'd probably say no like that you know, their purpose is not really aligned with, you know, with mine. And so, um, so that's sort of like the common thread and we work with a lot of women business owners too, which is really fun. Yeah. So I love when you think about a a vineyard and you think about what you just said, you created this perfect blend, right? You've, you've, you've created your, your business is your own perfect bottle of wine because it's this blend of two different groups of, of types of businesses, I should say, who the common theme is they, they have that purpose-driven life or purpose-driven focus. And that's what makes the, the bottle of, of uh, your business <laughs> 
seems so smooth, right? So when you when you think about, so you said, let me go all the way back to when I, you know, was looking to be a paralegal or even a court reporter. I know finance kind of slipped into the the theme that you were talking about working with numbers. Was there when you when you think about like as a kid, was there something that that influenced you around that, that you didn't realize until later in life that influenced you around numbers and finance and ultimately led you down this path? So as a kid, I loved making money, like loved making money. I there, I still remember, and I looked it up a couple months ago because I wanted to, I had the picture of the this cover of a book in my head, but every time we went to the library, we went to the library a lot. I was a huge reader as a kid. Um, I always checked out this book called like 101 Ways for Kids to Make Money or something. And so I was constantly thinking of new business ideas and executing those ideas to make money. So there was an odd jobs business that we put flyers, you know, in the, you know, mailboxes around the neighborhood. I ran a little like kids summer camp in my neighborhood, um, like made, you know, made different things, crafts and things. So I loved making money in one way or another. Um, and I think that that like sort of planning and organization of these businesses and, um, making the money and counting the money and all of that, like that was very natural to me as a kid. And if you, you know, asked either of my parents, like, what they, not what they remember about my childhood. They remember more than that, but like that would definitely, um, you know, definitely stick out to them as something like pretty, uh, pretty fundamental to my childhood. (laughs) I love that you were thinking about it at that age. Is it something that they got you started down that path or it was just sort of, you recognized it was something you enjoyed and you went after it almost like a hobby. I think the latter, um, you know, neither of my parents were entrepreneurs. My mom was, you know, a teacher and also stayed home with us. Um, my dad worked, you know, he worked a, you know, nine to five jobs. So I didn't really have, um, a whole lot of like entrepreneurial examples that I was really looking at or following. So I'm honestly not really sure where it came from. (laughs) Well, but they encouraged it. They definitely encouraged. Oh yeah. Oh yes. And guided you through, even if you didn't realize it at the time, probably guided you through a little bit. Um, the, uh, uh, we have some parents where, you know, some of their kids have done similar things to what you're talking about, like little things. And they, they try to teach them that there's also a, there's a cost to the things that they're doing too. So it's not all hundred percent profit and working with them and helping them understand how a business actually works, whether or not they end up being entrepreneurial is just helpful in general for, for young kids. Yeah. So, so fast forward to where you are now on the way to your path, was there any books? Um, I know, uh, by the way, I recently recorded a, a show with Stephanie where I was on her podcast and she asked me what my favorite books were and that I was currently reading anyways. Um, but I would ask you sort of a similar question. Were there any books along the way that really were influential and helped you take a step back and guide you a little bit in your journey to, to owning your own business? Yeah, that's a very good question. Um, And I'm looking at my bookshelf right now to like try and pinpoint one. Um, I will say like in the beginning of my business, I don't feel like I was necessarily reading business books and trying to make a business. I was more um, just trying to like replace my my salary, my full-time job so I could leave that and go all in on this. So I, I almost wasn't even thinking of it as a business. I was like, let me just get some clients. Let me do the work for them. Let me make an 
enough money to cover my salary and then I'm out. So I wasn't thinking about it that way. But over the course of the last five years, I would say, um, yeah, there are a few. So I love um, building a story brand by Donald Miller. Mm-hmm. Um, that is a favorite. It just, I love how it just sort of gives you a framework for understanding your, your business and who you're talking to and who you're serving and, um, being able to talk about it in a way that makes sense to people. Um, and I also love, let's see, I love almost everything that Mike McCallowitz writes. So most people know profit first. Um, I will say that it hasn't been super influential in my own business. I've read it because a lot of other, a lot of our clients use the profit first model. And so I want to know like all the details of what they know. Um, but I love the pumpkin plan and clockwork, um, for actually like running, you know, running your business. And I know, yeah, you know, clockwork. I know clockwork. I don't know the pumpkin plan though. That'll be what, that'll be a new one for me. I'll look that one up. Yep. That's uh, a clockwork good one. is, um, clockwork was probably about two years ago. One of the most influential books that I, it, it was very common sense type items, but mind blowing when you're in the middle of building something, you're, you're not thinking about that sort of stuff, but you wake up one day, at least I did and realized that my business was running me. I wasn't mm-hmm. running my business. Yep. And I needed to make some changes for my own mental and physical health. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that book was extremely helpful and, and guiding me through some of the changes. And I, I often wonder if the team feels the same way because all of a sudden I came into one of our team meetings. I'm like, there's some things that are going to change. And I'm just <laughs> forewarning you. <ya." laughs> yes. And I shared with them, uh, they sort of quasi read the book along with me in a way because I would come to each team meeting on Monday and I would say, okay, this is what I read last week and here's a small tweak that I think we can implement. But it was hugely influential in some of the things that I changed at that point in time to feel like I had some sort of balance in my life. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, that was, a, but the pumpkin plan, I'll, I'll have to look that one up and, and take a look at that. Yeah, it's got like the same style of writing as the others where it feels like very um, actionable and tangible and yeah, super useful. And I think no matter where you are in your business, like you'll find something in there that is, that's useful. Yeah. That's a good one. One of the other questions that I love to ask people is about the challenges that they've had in their lives. Um, building a business is stressful and you're doing it. You're doing it while having two young children. (laughs) So, you know, Tell us a little bit about some of those challenges and obstacles. And particularly, I want to hear your your story about how you are doing it. Because a lot of women I know I've talked to over the years are like, I don't dare do it right now. I have two young children. You know, they depend on me as a resource, but you've been able to figure that out. Yeah. So it has not always been easy, but it's one of the things I am most grateful for in my life because I'm able to do something that I am so passionate about, which is my, my work. Um, but also be very, very present and involved for both of my little girls. So I have a four-year-old and a one-year-old. Um, so they are very little and they're not in school, um, you know, not in school, you know, full-time yet. So, um, so they're at home a lot. Um, and I have never really known my business without children. And so I started my business when I was pregnant with my first daughter. Um, so I've never really had like, I've never been a business owner without kids. So I don't really even know what it's like, but the reason I started the business was because at that time I had shifted away from this nonprofit job that I loved. I was working in a university in a very like blah job. I sat in a fluorescent lit office for 
eight to nine hours a day. I had a 45 minute commute either way. And I was like, if I have to do this after like with a baby at home, like this is not the life I want for myself. Um, it was just, you know, I, it was just like a miserable thought. So that's when I started the business when I was pregnant, um, with my, with my first daughter. And so, you know, when she was born, (laughs) I was like, um, yeah, I thought I would just like be a hundred percent normal. Like immediately. And, you know, it took a little, took a little while to get back into the routine and I'll never forget. I don't know why or how, or what I was thinking, but I took a a potential client call, like a sales call, basically one week, seven days after my first daughter was born. (laughs) And I took notes on this call and I was like, my head was like, no, very fuzzy. I looked at my notes later. I'm like, I literally don't know what any of this means. I was like, so, you know, I was, I was out of it anyway. Um, but what has really helped over the last five years and, you know, going from one child to, you know, then she was in preschool for a couple mornings a week, but then, you know, I had my second child. So that sort of set us, you know, back to the beginning again, um, is just like having some flexibility for, for, you know, myself, I'm not like I've, traditionally have not been a very flexible person. I like to have, you know, schedules and, um, sort of work within a framework and just little kids don't let you do that. Mm -hmm. Um, but I've put control where I can have some control. So we have, um, we do have my in-laws and my mom help us out. They, they come over once a week. And so that does give me some uninterrupted, um, work time, but you know, it has been, sort of like an ongoing struggle to when I'm working, be a hundred percent working when I'm with the girls, be a hundred percent with the girls. Um, so, you know, it's, it's hard. It's a constant balance. And another thing I'll say is that in different periods of these last five years, like my work-life balance has looked very different. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I like to use this sort of analogy of a pie and you, you know, at any given point in time, um, you only have one pie. And so that is like, that's your time basically. And so when I first had, you know, either of my girls, like most of that pie was really giving towards the girls or towards work. And so other things in my life, like maybe, you know, my husband and I going on date nights or like fitness or things like hobbies, all that stuff. Like it's a teeny tiny little slice of the pie because the girls and work take up the rest of it. Um, and so that pie and the size of the slices sort of varies, um, you know, as I have gone, you know, through different phases in the last five years. And I think just being okay with that and knowing that like, okay, well, you know, fitness or, you know, um, like exercise is not really a priority for me right now. And I'm okay with that because I can't do everything. Like I need to give time to my business. I need to give time to my girls and there's no time, like the, the slice of pie left for exercise is not that big. So I'm just not going to worry about it. So I think giving myself some grace on that as well. And just realizing that, like, honestly, I really can't do it all, all the time, um, has been, you know, has been pretty game changing. Um, because I feel like we often think that we just, yeah, we have to do that we can yeah all the time. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, you use the word grace and I think that's wonderful that you're saying that because I, I do think that there is, um, there's a perception sometimes that, um, you're successful clearly in your business and you're, you're successful, uh, 
with what we see, you know, with pictures of you and your kids. And uh, as I'm not trying to genderize this, but as women, we do tend to be awful hard on ourselves if we're not paying attention to the nutrition and the, and the fitness side of things. And, and yet, you know, so the more we talk about the fact that we know we can have it all, we just can't have it all right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, the more I think it's going to open up doors for people to say, oh, well, okay, okay, I get it. Like, so if I do this, it, it doesn't have to be perfect. And, mm-hmm. you know, it, every ounce of your life isn't going to be perfect at any given time. And it might mean I have to give up this to do this right now. But if it's going to bring more joy to my life overall, the the flexibility piece, I think, is probably a huge piece that you you brought up is that if you have a child that's ill, so you have a child that's ill. I mean, you have that flexibility to be able to deal with that without it being a crisis because, okay, now what? I've got to mm-hmm. either take time off from work or I've got to find somebody to come sit with my child or, you know, worrying about what the company culture is around that kind of concept. That's one of the reasons why I think more and more women are actually starting their own businesses is so that they... They actually can continue their career and spend the time with children that they want to spend with children. And I, that's why I'm so enamored with women who are doing that and, and, you know, want to encourage more and more to take that into consideration and, and understand that. Yeah. So for a few years, you may not be able to get the exercise in that you want, but, but your girls get you and your business gets you and you don't feel like you're giving up you because of that. So thank you for sharing that. Um, I love to ask people because it's such a, a, a unique answer and it kind of brings that back full circle. When we think about a vineyard, when a vineyard first starts out, it's a piece of farmland usually, right? It's it's a piece of empty field or it's something that's, that's generally not being used for the source that we're going to ultimately use it for. And each vineyard manager defines a level of success for that vineyard, depending on the grapes that they've planted and you know, the output that they they get. So you could have two vineyards side by side with the same exact grape and one could thrive and do extremely well. And the other, you know, not so much based on how they are influenced in in general. So when it comes around to defining your successful vineyard, what, what would you say is success for you and your family? Yeah, I think that, um, I think the biggest thing I would say is, um, just balance for all of us. Um, and you know, balance for me is really having dedicated uninterrupted time to work on my business, um, to serve our clients, like do the things that I really love and I'm passionate about, but also knowing that like when I shut the laptop down at the end of the day, like that's it. I don't have to think about it again until the next time I'm working. Um, so that for me is balance. And I think for my, for my girls, um, you know, I think balance is important for them as well. And I think it's good for them to hang out with their grandparents a couple mm-hmm. days a week. And for, you know, my oldest is in preschool a few mornings a week. And so for her to have that for herself as well, and 
you know, not be around me 24 seven. And, you know, for my husband, I think his balance looks like, you know, having, um, having time to do things that he really loves. Like he loves, um, home renovation projects and, um, home improvement type things. And so for him to be able to have that uninterrupted time to do the things that he loves. And so I think for each of us, it's, you know, it is a little bit of balance of like having that time for things that are good for us personally, and then having that time where we can all just be together and, um, not distracted. And, you know, that's a practice that we have to like remind ourselves all the time, like put the phones in the other room. It's, you know, it's just, Mm -hmm. it's become such a habit that it's, you know, that can be challenging, but yeah, no, that's a good point is, is being in the moment and putting the phones in the other room. I have once a month, I do a no tech weekend. And I can't say that my phone isn't near me in case somebody needs to get a hold of me in an emergency situation, but it is something that I put on the calendar. Uh, it is a commitment to both my husband and myself and my clients, to be honest, mm-hmm. because if you just keep charging every single week, eventually you're going to burn out. You know, yeah. there, there is, there is. If you think about, we need, again, going back to that vineyard, we need water in the vineyard, but too much is going to create a problem. We need sunshine on the vineyard, but too much of it is going to create a problem. So creating that perfect balance, which I air quote perfect, because it really does exist, right? But at least some sort of balance and figuring out what's going to work for you, because I'll work 24 seven, because I love what I do and you do too, but it's still not good for me. Right. you know, creating those, I want to call them good barriers, you know, good roadblocks that say, take time, you know, go to the beach, go to, um, go to the home renovation project, go spend the weekend, you know, with the kids where it's just building forts or you know, playing yeah. princess or whatever you want to do. Like those yes. are the things that you, you need to do for yourself and be able to look back on and make sure that you never miss. And, and one of the things that I think is super, super critical uh, is as the girls get a little bit older, as your kids get a little bit older, making sure that you're able to attend some of the really unique and fun things that they experience in life. Mm-hmm. Nothing like kindergarten graduation. I'm sorry, but that's like... You know, it's the biggest moment in their lives at that age. And to not be able to be there is crushing. Yeah. (laughs) That's it. It's so funny because, yeah, I mean, I don't, I, that's a half the reason or all of the reason that I started the business was that, so I would never have to like ask someone else's permission to like go pick my daughter up from school or take them to a doctor's appointment. Like I've not missed a single doctor's appointment for either of my girls. And it's not something that I necessarily wear with like a badge of honor and, and, you know, judging other women who are not in that same position, but it's something that I really was wanted for myself. And so the business has allowed me to do that. And I even think back to, um, Halloween, not this past year, but the year before I was so worried that my, I was pregnant and it was like around my due date. I was so worried that my second daughter was going to be born and I was going to miss my first daughter's like little Halloween show at school that I was considering like scheduling my, I had to be induced for my, my second, actually my first two, but I had to be induced. And so I was considering scheduling the induction around like the Halloween thing at school. Cause I really didn't want to miss it. So like, yeah, I want to be there for everything. <laughs> And into your point, like, you know, not everybody can, like they don't, 
unfortunately not everybody has a job that's um that's around that but that's why that's why i love to talk to women entrepreneurs uh, about their journey because i think the more women here and men too the more people hear about it the more they feel comfortable with the decision to to potentially do it and the way that you did it just to sort of circle back on that it was a side hustle mm-hmm. to begin with. Yep. You had a job that was making the money that you needed to at that point in time. You had a side hustle. You grew that side hustle to the point that it was a replacement. And there was a pain point in there, I'm sure, because you were probably working you know, two full-time jobs before you said, okay, I can let go of this other ones. But that was a very safe way to do it in a sense because it, it really did allow you to not have to start at zero. Yep. So, you know, that is, I just want to kind of bring that back to the surface because I think for a lot of people, when they say, I really want to start my own business, but I don't dare let go of the money uh, or can't because my family depends on it. That's a way to do it. There is a, Mm -hmm. there is a process to that. And there is a pain point that's involved in it. Like, no, I don't want to sugarcoat it. There is, when you're doing that, it it is definitely okay. I know there's going to be a period of time where time is going to be extremely valuable and, and figuring out how to build that in. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing your journey before we, before we go. Um, I want to finish up with the final section of our show, which is called the Nourish Your Vine section, where we take just a few minutes for our guests to provide the listeners with maybe one financial lesson that they've learned either in in their journey of starting their business or just in general of their lives that they wish somebody had told them earlier on. Oh my goodness. That's such a good question. Um, I really think that, you know, what has been sort of a game changer for me in making big decisions in my life and in my business are having a forecast, um, having like some numbers mapped out on paper so I can see the potential of different scenarios. And so I think that like pivotal moment when I was considering leaving my full-time job because I had then built up a client roster, like I knew what the trajectory of those clients and that revenue looked like. So I could make that decision with ease and with confidence. And now five years later, I'm using that same, you know, sort of methodology, that same forecasting where I'm just looking ahead and predicting what money is going to come in and what's going to go out. That's helping me make decisions right now on hiring three new full-time employees. And so I feel like that, um, sort of, I was going to say discipline. It's not even really discipline. It's more just like I don't know, just sitting down and kind of mapping things out for a couple of minutes. Like that has, that's just so important no matter where you are in your journey. So I'd say that that'd be my number one. Being comfortable with where those numbers are going to take you. Cause that, that is often the barrier. Um, as you know, Stephanie, many times I'll ask people, um, if money wasn't a barrier, what would you change in your life? And often it's not money. Often it's just sitting down and making decisions about where your money is going and maximizing your money to make sure that it's meeting the goal to to where you would change your life. And so really appreciate you being on the show. Um, I want to make sure that people know how to get a hold of you. We're certainly going to have all of your social media in our show notes and a link to your website. But is there any other way that you'd like for people to reach out if they're interested in your services? 
Yeah. So, um, our website is 100 degreesconsulting.com. And if you go there, if you, if you want to chat, um, there's the contact form, you can get a hold of us, but I would say, um, we've got a great resource, 100 degreesconsulting.com slash profit. And that is, um, it's our profit playbook. It's a template for helping you to build that forecast. Like I just talked about, because I really do feel like that is, um, like one of the most important tools that any business owner needs. Um, and so you can grab that for free over at 100 degreesconsulting.com slash profit. We'll make sure we put that in the show notes because it is, it is a first step. And honestly, for people that aren't at the level that your services are quite needed because it, again, here's a pain point pressure, right? So you get to the point in your business or the non-for-profit where it's a time is precious. Time becomes the, the actual value. That's where you're very helpful because it's not that people can't do it. It's either that they don't want to do it, they don't know how to do it, or they don't have the time to do it. Mm-hmm. And yeah. any of those three are great reasons to hire companies like yours, but we'll make sure that we put that link in the show notes. And want to just say thank you so much for, for taking time out of your busy day and sharing your journey and your life with the listeners so that they can, as I always say, see it and be it. So thank you again, Stephanie. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Amy. And that will about do it for today's episode of Wine and Dime. You can contact Amy through the website, www.rootedpg.com or amy at rootedpg.com. You can also follow us on Facebook and Instagram at RootedPG for the latest news. And if you have any questions, comments, or topics you would like to hear about, feel free to let us know. And don't forget to rate and subscribe the show wherever you get your podcasts. And again, thank you for listening and be sure to tune in next time.